Again, good morning. Every once in a while I see these really funny things. I was sitting here and I saw uh, Luke go back and tap Craig and then Craig put something in the offering. It looked like he was like, you know, bullying him into giving right there, but I assume you called him back, I hope. <laughs> okay. Uh, so we are in the, uh, the book of Malachi. We, uh, as, a, as a church, what we do is uh, overwhelmingly we, we take a book of the Bible because we want to preach the whole counsel of God, as the Apostle Paul says to do, uh, and, uh, and we'll work through it uh, section by section. And so those of you that are just getting back for, for school right now, you're, you're coming in on week two of, of Malachi. You missed the introduction. Uh, you can go back and listen to it, but uh, you can also just move ahead starting today. So uh, find the book of Malachi. The easiest way to get there is to go to the book of Matthew and turn backwards one book. It's the last book of the Old Testament. Um, so the overarching purpose of this book, the overarching goal here is for God to call his, his people who have become apathetic back to him, back to proper worship of, of their Lord to renew their, their love for the Lord. And uh, the structure of this book of Malachi, as we'll see, is this, these six conversations, or, or more like disputes, where, where God makes a statement, uh, and, and then the people of God respond back with something equivalent to, to backtalk uh, to, to God, and, and then God just strikes them with lightning dead, and it's over. Um, that's not the way it really goes. Uh, it's the way it certainly could go, but it's not at all. And in fact... Uh, the way God really responds is by answering their objection because God's intention is to restore them, right? It's not punitive. It's not punishment. He wants to restore them back into the good fellowship, um, both for the sake of his people and for the glory of his, his own name. So uh, we're going to be reading starting in verse 6 <clears throat> all the way through 14. <clears throat> A son honors his father and a servant his master. If then I am a father, where is my honor? And if I am a master, where is my fear? Says the Lord of hosts to you, O, o priests who despise my name. But you say, how have we despised your name? By offering polluted food upon my altar. But you say, how have we polluted you? By saying that the Lord's table may be despised. When you offer blind animals in sacrifice, is that not evil? When you offer those that are lame or sick, is that not evil? <clears throat> present, that, uh, present that to your governor. Will he accept you or show you favor, says the Lord of hosts? And now entreat the favor of God that he may be gracious to us. With such a gift from your hand, will, will he show favor to any of you, says the Lord of hosts? Oh, that, <clears throat> oh, that there were one among you who would shut the doors that you might not kindle fire on my altar in vain. I have no pleasure in you, says the Lord of hosts. I will not accept an offering from your hand. For from the rising of the sun to its setting, my name will be great among the nations. And in every, in, uh, in every place incense will be offered to my name, and a pure offering. For my name will be great among the nations, says the Lord of hosts. But you profane it when you say that the Lord's table is polluted, and its fruit, that it is, it, its food may be despised. But you say, what a weariness this is. And you snorted it, says the Lord of hosts. You bring what, what has been taken by violence or is lame or sick, and, <clears throat> and this you bring as your offering? Shall I accept that from your hand, says the Lord? Cursed be the cheat who has a male in his flock and vows it, and yet sacrifices to the Lord what is blemished. For I am a great king, says the Lord of hosts, 
and my name will be feared among the nations. The grass withers and the flower fades. Let's pray. O Lord, grant us a fresh outpouring of the Holy Spirit that by him we may be given ears to hear and hearts that leap at your holy word. Show us where our hearts have wandered or grown cold and draw us back to a place of faithful, wholehearted worship. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You ever listened to someone or seen them write it somewhere, just, just heard a phrase, something like, the church is full of hypocrites. You know, the, the, the people who are, are there are just going through the motions. That's, that's all they're doing. It, it'd be better, in fact, if the churches just closed their doors and were just gone. Maybe you've heard people say that, but did you ever think you'd hear God himself say that? That's, that's basically a summary of this passage that we've just read here today. God is not delighting in, in the worship that his people are bringing to him, which, which might surprise us when, when you really look at this and you realize, you know what, they're not bowing down to golden calves. They're, they're not worshiping Baal. They're not doing idolatry of, of any sort specifically. You know, they are, in fact, worshiping the true God of Israel. That's who they come to the temple for. What's more is, is they are worshiping in exactly the way that God has regulated his worship to be. And yet, God finds no, no delight in their worship. You might remember last week, we, we learned that God's people, they didn't feel loved by God. That, that wasn't what they felt. And, and, and the issue that we see here today stems from that. It continues on from that because now they, finally, now they are simply just going through the motions Showing up, bringing something, simply doing it. And in verse 6, God is pointing out that what they say with the words of their mouth, that, that, that God is their heavenly father and that, that God is their Lord and their master. These are things they are actually saying, but he's saying, you, you haven't actually meant that. See, they, they failed to show the honor that, that a father would be due, and they have failed to show the respectful fear that, that a master would have been due in this time. So God's saying basically this. He's saying, listen, Israel, you don't believe I'm your father in your heart. You don't acknowledge that I'm your master, not beyond mere words. And he says this because God has instructed them to bring these unblemished uh, animals to be, to be sacrificed, right? Bring, bring your best animals and, and sacrifice them to me. But what they have actually been bringing are, are these lame animals. And that's not just a slang, slang term. That's an idea of uh, something's wrong with this animal. Something is, is messed up with it. And they're bringing blind animals and they're bringing sick animals. They, you know, they're bringing these animals that have very little value to them. Very little value at all. And, and, and they're doing this for the simple fact that they want to hold on to the valuable ones, right? These, these are for me, and, and God, you can have what's, what's less valuable. Israel was, was half-hearted. They, they lacked reverence, and they lacked respect for God. And, and so they began to give these pathetic sacrifices. That's the symptom of what's really going on. And uh, I, I can remember uh, last, last year after a hurricane uh, Harvey down in Houston hit. I, I can remember that uh, this outpouring of people all over the country began to donate things and, and give it to, to these places who were now shipping them down in these, these big trucks and, and giving them to Houston. And it was fantastic to, to see all these people willing to give. And some of them gave some fantastic stuff. stuff. But, but what I found out later was that a high percentage of the stuff that was being sent was, was actually a bunch of old stuff that people probably should have thrown away years ago. And, and now they're donating to these people in need. Um... That's a little bit of what we're talking about here. 
Uh, I'll try to give you an analogy of this. It, it'd be like a, a husband returning home on his, his wedding anniversary, right? And, and, and they both know it's the wedding anniversary. And he comes home with flowers that he picked along the way, uh, somewhere along the way. And, and you know those kind of flowers that are on their last leg? They're wilting and about to die. And they're like a, a Charlie Brown Christmas tree flower. And, and, and then half-heartedly, you know, handing them to her, saying, you, you, you know that I love you, before sitting down and spending the rest of the day just watching football and ignoring her. I mean, sure, tomorrow he could, he could tell his friends, you know what, I, it was on my anniversary and I bought her flowers. I told her I loved her. Uh, you know, but the truth is his wife might be incredibly disappointed because he didn't truly express any real affection for her, any, any true love for her. In fact, what he displayed was a, a clear lack of, of any sort of affection for her. And, you know, it mostly highlights here in this, this, if you were sitting there and watching this, it would mostly highlight the fact that there's something wrong between those two people. Something deep-seated between them that is resulting in, in his apathy and, and her sense of feeling unloved. And, and to drive this point home, there in verse 8, God asked them, what would happen if you traveled to the, the governor, your governor, it would be the governor of the Persian district they were in, and, and ask him for a favor? And, and what he means is if you really did this, the, the custom was that you'd bring a gift and you'd give it to uh, this, this uh, governor of the land. And, and then you would ask for the favor that you had. And, and God's asking them, what do you think this governor would, would do? How would he respond if, if you brought him the kind of gifts that you're bringing to me in, in worship? If you brought him to, to this man, how, how would he respond? And the unspoken answer is that the governor would, would certainly not show them favor. Uh, he would feel disrespected by the way they have brought these, these crummy gifts to him. And God wants them to, to, to see, you know, that, that, that even this governor who had some power... Even this governor, you know, required some respect, was due some respect, and, and they were rejecting him with these offerings. But, but how much more, how much more a holy God who is all-powerful and worthy, who, who deserves all honor, all respect, how much more ought a holy God like that to disregard these offerings they're bringing? You know, to, to pick up on the the analogy of the husband and wife again, it, it's like the wife telling her husband, you, you show greater honor to your secretary on secretary day than you do to me, your wife, on our anniversary. That's what's going on here. But it is so much worse, in fact, because they're talking about God. They're, they're talking about uh, God. They're bringing the, you know, the least they can, and, and even that they find to be this, this pain in the butt kind of thing to do. I mean, you see it there in verse 13, you know, you, you can pretty much hear their tone there, this, ugh, what a weariness this is. So sick of bringing offerings at all. Like, like that's the attitude going on. You know, regarding the, the husband and the wife and the anniversary, you can imagine, you know, just handing these, these flowers over and even adding after all the other things he's done here, you know, to add, you know, I had to spend, you know, $8 on these flowers because I didn't pick enough. Well, you know, I had to wait in line for 10 minutes to bring you these flowers. Here are your flowers. How would you feel? See, what the, what the Israelites communicated to God is, is that they not only despise bringing sacrifices, but ultimately they despise the Lord himself. The Lord says as much right here in verse 6. We see it there, you know. It's, and I'll say this. It's easy for us to look at Israel from here, right? We're 2,500 years after this ha these events happen. And, and to look back at them and just kind of wonder at their apathy. How could they treat God that way? 
But I, I expect you've probably already asked yourself this, this question, right? Could, could God make a similar statement about me like this? Could, could he say this about me? Do, do I honor him as my heavenly father? Do I fear him reverently as my master? I think this is where we, we want to just dismiss ourselves, right? And, and it's easy. We, we bring some of our theology in and we misappropriate it so that, uh, you know, that, you know, Jesus was the once for all sacrifice and so we're no longer required to sacrifice lambs to our God. This doesn't apply to me. Let's move along. Um, that's the way we, we tend to do things. You know, this specific issue at this moment is not mine, so let's just push it along. I, uh, at Thursday, our small group last week, uh, dinner was tacos, and so we all started loading up our, our plates with these tacos because, well, because they're tacos. Um, and, and Sandy had this plate full of food, and as she's walking by, and, and she asks, uh, uh, are we talking about gluttony tonight? Um, that was her fear with this huge plate of food at the moment. Uh, and I told her, no, we're, we're talking about adultery. And, and she looks back at her plate, and she's like, okay, I'm good then. Um, you know, just this quick, let's just dismiss it. This is not the problem for me at this moment. Let's move on. And, and Sandy was just being funny, but I, I think that's the way we really do deal with some of these Old Testament passages, passages sometimes. It doesn't apply to me. Let's just move along. But if, but if we're going to write it off, we're, we're missing the point and failing to understand the, the heart of the issue that God is trying to get at here. The, the heart of the issue that manifests itself here is, is apathetic worship. That's, that's the bottom line here. Plus, to be fair, God does speak about Christians offering sacrifices. Romans 12.1, right? Uh, we're instructed by God, as, as Paul writes, saying, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. And, and in Hebrews 13, 15, we, we read there, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God, that is, the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. So there's these statements about sacrifice here, but see, sacrifice isn't always about seeking the forgiveness of your sins. Sometimes it's simply about worship of God. To the battle that is raging in our hearts every day is do we have a proper view of who God is? Do we acknowledge him, right? Is the Lord the delight of your life? That's the battle in our hearts day in and day out. Is he the delight of your life or, or have you simply forgotten him? Or, or worse, do you find it a, a, just a nuisance because it comes with all these expectations that, that you'd rather just not deal with? And I think we, we must admit, it is possible to go through the motions of worship. To show up and half-heartedly worship. Or something other than worship. You, you could actually do this. I can do this. I expect we all have, at some point in our life, actually done this. But my, my hope and my prayer is that we're not doing this week in and week out, just showing up and going through the motions. There, you know, there was this time in my life at one point when, <clears throat> when I was part of a church, and, and I loved the preaching of the church. I thought it was fantastic, um, but I was a great critic of the music. You know, I told myself, uh, I can't really worship to this, right? Famous line, right? I can't worship to this because it doesn't stir my emotions like I think it should. And so I just dismissed myself. Um, I, I was coming to church every week and expecting the leaders, expecting the musicians uh, to make me enjoy the service as if I was an absolute passive part of this. I just sit here and you, you do your thing. 
And you know, something I, I read at that time, though, was, was a real challenge to me. It talked about preparing for worship. You know, what do you do when you, when you come to worship? After all, you know, you think about it, we prepare for job interviews. You should if you don't. Uh, we prepare for deployments. We prepare for the exams we're going to take at school. You know, if you're going on a date, you probably even prepare before going out on that date. Uh, why in the world do we not prepare for worship? And that challenged me to, to go ahead and read the passage ahead of time. It challenged me to, to pray and to ask God to be real and to give me a joy to come and to worship him no matter what we're going to sing today. And it just revolutionized worship in my own heart to, to come in and know I'm not a passive aspect here. I am going to participate. We, we actually design our worship service for participation. You are standing. You are speaking. You're involved in it. You have the, the passing of the peace where you, you greet people. The Lord's Supper, you're going to come up and gather on this table. It's very intentionally a participation. You don't just sit and watch other people lead you in worship. So yes, you know, the truth is I can still go into a place, even a place where God is, is worshipped in a, in a biblical manner and still struggle in my heart. But when that happens, I, I know now that I can't blame the music and I can't blame the way the pastor is preaching and I, I can't blame anything else going on in there because the issue resides in me. That I need to examine my heart and my relationship with the Lord. I'll say uh, collectively as a, a covenant community, I um, my hope is that we're not just going through the motions. My hope is that God does not look upon our, our worship service on these Sunday mornings and say, you know, because of their attitude, I, I wish they would have just stayed home today. I, I wish, you, you know, one of them would just lock the door and them not show up. And I, I do not believe that, that the Lord would think that. I, I believe he is honored here. I, I see when you stand, when you take part in this worship service, and I believe he is rightly honored overwhelmingly, but, but the question here is still an individual question. You know, where are we at individually? I, I want to try to shine a little bit of light on our, our hearts, and, and not for shame, and I put that disclaimer because it's probably going to sound like for shame at a few points, um, but the reason is for correction, and, and in case we need recalibration of our hearts and the way we come to worship, I... I want us to consider this in, in two areas where uh, I think we, we tend to, um, where we can give to God or, or we can give to the idols uh, of our lives. And, and those two areas are, are wealth and, and time. Uh, we'll, we'll talk about finances first, and don't worry, I'm not going to go Creflo dollar on you or anything like that. Um, really, though, we, we all have some things that we're more willing to spend money on. We just, we just do. Uh, you, you might understand or you might not understand you know, why, why, why one person is so willing to spend their money on technology or they're so willing to spend their money on cars and, and they might not understand why you're so willing to spend your money on Disneyland or restaurants or whatever it might be. But we must admit there are some things that we are just more willing to spend our money on than there are other things. Personally, I'll, I'll, I'll come clean. I, I like to spend my money on Apple products. I, I enjoy that. Uh, you know, if it's shiny and it says Apple on it, I will buy it. Um, that's fun for me. I, I like to spend my money on books. I love to spend my money on Mexican food. <clears throat> Fajitas, take my money. I don't care what it costs. Um, there are also things I hate to spend money on. I, I hate car repairs. Um, it's just to make the car back like it was when I started. Uh, you know, college loans, no one wants to spend on that. Taxes, we all hate to spend our money on. And, and, and these two things are the two extremes, right? The things we love to spend our money on and the things that we hate to spend our money on. But, but the question I want to have for us today is, is, where is giving to the Lord in that range? Is it closer to taxes or is it closer to whatever your Apple product is? 
And, and I don't just mean offering here at church. But, but also, you know, you know full-time missionaries who are in, in foreign countries serving the Lord, or, or the short-term mission trips that many of our college students take in the summers to, to, to go and to seek to serve the Lord. Talking about supporting, you know, John and Tricia with RUF and the Cassings and Hardys with, with, with crew, right? Um, you know, how do, we, how do we feel when, when someone comes and asks us, you know, will, will you... Will you help financially with, with what we're doing here? When, when that money, you know, what, how do you feel when they're saying, hey, you could support this ministry? Or, or that money could be spent on yourself going to the movies or, or buying new clothes, right? And again, this is not a guilt trip, okay? It really isn't. I'll be the first one to raise my hand uh, and admit that I absolutely struggle at times to give sacrificially with finances to the work of the Lord in areas. But, but if I'm honest, my, my heart was absolutely giddy when I realized I'd finally saved up enough money to buy an Apple Watch. Didn't even think, yes, I have enough money, it's going to that. But, but you know, when you, when you come and ask me about, about your, your campus ministry and the, the way you want help, I, I'm a little bit to, to bulk at that. That's not your problem, that's my problem. I've got a heart issue there. And, and see, we, maybe I'm more like the Israelites than I thought at first. And I think if you're honest, you, you might find that you're a lot more like the Israelites than you may have thought at first. We, we kind of do the same thing they're doing here in our own time. And, you know, let's talk about time for a minute. I know life is busy. It's difficult to complete the things you need to complete and the time you have to complete them. There's never enough hours in the day. Um, but everyone has some time in their day, some time in their week. There is this moment when you can finally do whatever you want to do. Uh, Ian Dugan says that... Uh, says that the activities that we wish we had time for say a great deal about the focus of our hearts. The, the time in our, our days are, are composed, again, on these two opposite extremes, right? The things that you have to do, work and study and whatever it might be on, on that level, home, make sure the laundry's clean. And, and on the other side, there's things that we desire to do, our, our hobbies, our, our quiet reading, or talking over coffee, or entertainment of some size, right? Uh, and, and the question is, where on that range then, on these two extremes, do we find meeting with the Lord? Where, where do we find that? Do you, do you ever think, you know, I hope I get all this stuff done today so I can go finish the book of Romans? Some of you do. Be thankful for that, but, but, but do you, you know, or, or do you think, man, if I can finish this in a, in a quick, you know, in a, a better pace today, then I can go read that Keller book that's been, you know, teaching me about God. Or maybe I can just write my prayers to God and, and take my time and not feel so rushed. You know, is, is that ever your free time? And again, right, I got to keep saying this. I'm not trying to guilt you. I just want you to see that the, the heart of the issue facing these Israelites is not so different than the heart issues facing every single one of us. Because they're coming to the temple, right? You're here at church. I get it. They're bringing sacrifices, but the issue lies with, with the worship behind the worship. The issue lies with, with the heart behind the physical act of worship. The, the issue in their hearts, and, and often our own, is this, this apathy, a, a sort of indifference. Uh, as I was thinking about this, I, I remembered an old poem, maybe not too old, but D.A. Carson wrote this some years ago. Um, I think it's called Three Dollars of Gospel. Just listen to this. He says, I'd like to buy about three dollars worth of gospel, please. Not too much. Just enough to make me happy. 
but not so much that I get addicted. <clears throat> I don't want so much gospel that I learn to really hate covetousness and lust. I certainly don't want so much that I start to love my enemies, cherish self-denial, and contemplate missionary service in some alien culture. I want ecstasy, not repentance. I, I want transcendence, not transformation. I, I would like to be cherished by some nice, forgiving, broad-minded people, but I myself don't want to love those from different races, especially if they smell. I'd like enough gospel to make my family secure and my children well-behaved, but not so much that I find my ambitions redirected or my giving too greatly enlarged. I would like about $3 worth of gospel, please. The thing is, when, when we're apathetic to God, we sometimes don't even realize it because we're still passionate about something else, right? Something on the, the periphery. Some, some pursuit of our heart is, is still there seeming to satisfy us. We, we only feel this, this emptiness when, when an idol actually fails to live up to what we hope it to be. And idols will always fail eventually. We, we find ourselves, you know, I, I, I thought this new relationship was going to satisfy me. I thought if I got this promotion, then, then I'd feel fulfilled. That's just where I wanted to be. Or I, I thought that if I had these new shoes... I'm probably never going to want anything else ever again. This is it. And those are not bad things to pursue. Don't hear that. Promotions are good. You know, relationships are, are good. They're, but they must be merely good gifts of the Lord that we can go to him and, and thank our Heavenly Father for. So let me bring this back again to the, to the narrow focus of what we're looking at here, the focus of, of worship. I, I, I read this passage, uh, and, and I'm convinced that sometimes, some weeks, I, I come to worship and I, and I just offer up half-hearted praise of God. That's, that's just the truth. Maybe, maybe you feel that too. It's a, a conviction of this. Maybe you, you feel that conviction. That's, that's part of the way these prophetic wor books work. You know, that's the goal of, of God and Malachi speaking to the people here is that they, they see the way they're doing things wrong. But what do we, what do, we do about this? How do we worship God in, in spirit and in truth with our whole heart. Because I don't want you to hear this and just think, yeah, I'm, I'm pathetic. That's not where this ends. You see, uh, God gives a, a hint here in this passage at the worship that you and I are, are doing this very day, like actually the worship we're doing today. In verse 11, if you've got your Bible still open, look at it where he says, For from the rising of the sun to its setting, my name will be great among the nations. See, he's, he's pointing forward. There's this, this future where God knows that he's going to receive true worship from, from the Jews and also from the Gentiles. You are a Gentile if you're not a Jew, in case you're wondering. We are the Gentiles. We, you know, you being here this morning, you worshiping God this morning, that's part of the fulfillment of that statement we just read, read right there in verse 11. And that's a huge statement because as we've already seen, we are easily distracted. And all too often, we, we come to worship the Lord half-heartedly. And yet, and you need to hear this, and yet, God accepts your deficient worship this morning. He accepts it for one simple reason. He accepts it because he, he sent his son in your place to be a true worshiper, a perfect worshiper. You know, just like when he, when he looks at your life and uh, at your life because of Christ, he doesn't look and see your sin. What he sees is the righteousness of his son. So too, when he receives your worship, he receives the worship of his son. 
His son who didn't sacrifice, you know, some lame or sick animal, didn't, didn't go about it half-heartedly, but sacrifice his own spotless self, the perfect self, the Lamb of God. And Jesus' perfect worship, I don't know if fortify is the right word, but essentially fortifies our, our weak worship so that it is acceptable to the Lord. See, you, you, you can't guilt people into wholehearted worship. I know that. If I thought you could, that's exactly what I'd do. But you can't. You just can't. But I'll tell you a deep understanding of our triune God's love for you. That kind of knowledge, that kind of truth, when you understand that, that can stir your affections into wholehearted worship for God. And I want you to know that, you know, when you, when you come in here on Sunday mornings, I want you to really know this, because sometimes as Christians, we miss these kind of things. That, you know, I don't want you coming in here, and, and rather than, you know, coming in here and feeling this pressure of, oh, my worship must be wholehearted, it must be perfect, it must be better than I, than I usually bring in here. That's not the idea. You know, you can actually just, just sit down, and, and in that moment before we actually begin the service, when, when Katie or Nicola or Chloe or someone's playing piano, and, and just confess to God, God, my heart isn't here. My affections are, are weak. You can be honest with God. You really can. You can be vulnerable with the Lord. Be, because he does love you. And, it, and his love is not contingent upon true worship. Not at all. His, his love is the fuel. His love is the catalyst for your heart to be offering true, whole worship. See, Christian, it's important that you know, if at all possible, it's good for you to know that this is where you need to be on a Sunday morning with the people of God, whoever the people of God are in your life, right? If you're visiting today, your church back home, but to be with the people of God and worshiping Him. I can't tell you how many times someone shared with me something along the lines of, I came today frustrated and worried about this and that and whatever it might be in my life, and, and, and I didn't come here with, with a right heart, but I'm so glad I was here because my heart has been lifted, and I, and I am just overjoyed to be worshiping the Lord today. That's exactly how worship is supposed to work. I'm not saying it's the end goal, but that is how it should work. You know, the, the Lord's Supper is supposed to remind you of God's ever-present love for you. The, the many prayers that we have in the service are, are, are supposed, they should remind you that God listens when we pray. The, the music is meant to assist you in worshiping God with our voices as we, we, we sing out and express it that way. The, the fellowship you have with others is supposed to encourage us and, uh, you know, in the sense of that we are part of God's family, truly part of God's family. And again, I, I admit there are Sunday mornings that I arrive here tired and frustrated. Uh, I walk in those doors thinking, okay, how long till this is over and I can go home and veg out? Full confession. <laughs> and here's what I love, though. You know, as I'm walking around and I'm getting things ready, um, at some point I'll get this genuine welcome from, from Craig this good morning or from Ryan or whoever's in the sound booth that day. And, uh, <clears throat> you know, and I'll hear the musicians preparing, and I just love it. Uh, the melody and the lyrics, you know, they flow into my, my ears and they warm my soul. And I'm just so thankful for this time of worship. And so even though I walk in the doors in one condition, by the time the service starts, uh, I, I have this great joy for the fact that this, this is the family of God. And, and, and they've been such a huge blessing. The Lord is worthy of worship. See, it lifts me out of half-hearted worship. Uh, and I, I think you know this. If you've ever just experienced just focus on the Lord and worship, there is no better feeling than true worship. 
when our hearts are stirred and the grace of God is, is poured out on us a way that we just understand completely. See, our, our offering of, of praise might be full of blemishes, but the sacrifice that Jesus gave on our behalf is absolutely perfect. The most valuable individual in the history of existence was placed upon the altar of the cross and sacrificed on your behalf. And, and God accepted that sacrifice. Right? Very different than what we're hearing here in Malachi. God accepted that sacrifice. And the goal of that sacrifice, it included your redemption. It did. It, it includes your eternal life forever with the Lord. It, it does. But, but the ultimate goal was to set you free so that you might worship the Lord God Almighty today and forevermore. The ultimate goal is, is to set you free from your sin. You, you hear what I'm saying? You are a worshiper true worshiper. May the Lord receive our worship. So as we continue the worship service today and tomorrow and the weeks after that, you know, come in here. Offer your worship. Bring all that you have, but know that even in your deficiency, the, the Lord has, has covered it all. The Lord accepts your worship. Let's pray. Oh Lord, we are so prone to wander. We are so prone to serve ourselves and to keep you on some second tier of our priorities. Change our hearts if needed today. Show us that you have indeed loved us, that you are truly worthy of faithful worship, and we thank you that you did not give some half-hearted sacrifice for our redemption, but, but Jesus laid down his life for us, the, the perfect and spotless lamb. Lord, make our hearts to be apathetic to the world, but zealously satisfied in you this day. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.